take your Bibles this evening, we finished off Ezra last week. It just seemed to me to be fitting to go into Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of a team. And we're going to see Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, Ezra is going to take up uh, the mantle of rebuilding. We've been in Ezra. Ezra has uh, Ezra covers a, a period of a hundred years, roughly, of the historical narrative, and they're going back to rebuild the temple, reinstitute worship. But the city walls, the gates are broken down, and Nehemiah is going to take that on as his work. And so we're going to get introduced to Nehemiah. We're going to follow his life through. And hopefully this will be a good, uh, you'll be able to, uh, the package. So we've got Ezra, we just finished, we're going into Nehemiah. Sunday, we just finished Esther. Tonight I'll tell you where Esther falls into this narrative. They're all kind of going on at the same time. And uh, I hope that's been a blessing to you. Uh, It certainly has been a blessing to me. But let's stop and have prayer, and then let's get started in the book of Nehemiah. Father, I thank you for the privilege you have given me these many years of standing behind this sacred desk and opening up your word and inspiring your people to be students of the word and to have faith and confidence in their God. Father, I thank you over the years for the for the folks that have trusted you as their savior and followed you in believers baptism. I'm thankful for the faithful workers that we have in uh, so many areas of life, uh, doing so many tasks. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And Father, may we be convinced tonight that you have a task for us to do. Uh, I would say the vast majority of us us here, including myself, uh, would think we're just pretty ordinary people. Uh, But uh, Father, I, I study your word. We go through Nehemiah. I'm always encouraged that you use ordinary people, and I thank you for that, and pray that we be encouraged by that, and commit to serve you with our ordinary lives, and may we look back and see something extraordinary got done, not because of who we are, but because of the greatness of our God. And we'll praise you for that greatness throughout all eternity, it is in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting, we're in Nehemiah. And people would say, well, who wrote Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah wrote Nehemiah. And that's always encouraging to be able to say that. A Jewish tradition identifies Nehemiah as the author as well. Uh, We'll go through the book and you'll see that oftentimes he's speaking in the first person. Uh, First person is common in the book, where some books that is not common at all whatsoever. Where was he born? I have no idea. What was his background? I have no idea. Uh, what were his qualifications? I have no idea. Where did he go to school? <laughs> I have no idea. And the Bible doesn't tell us any of those things. Little is known about him. But here, what we do know. Uh, let's go to chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, in the Persian Empire still, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah... And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah is here in the king's house. He's the king's cupbearer. He is a, will you let me say this, he is a government employee. He works for the government. He works for the Fed. 
Uh, he, he has an important job. And he's serious about his job. What does a cupbearer do? Well, when anybody would bring drink to the king, the cupbearer would take the first, first drink. And then we'd watch to see if he died. And if he lived, then the king would drink it. Uh, it was an important job. And so you took your job seriously because if somebody's getting poisoned, then you were going to die before the king did. And so you wanted to know where that was coming from. And he was obviously put in that position because he was trusted. You wouldn't want somebody in that position that was going to pretend they were taking a drink and, and, give, and give you poison. Uh, so the king trusted him. He was trusted at the highest levels of the federal government. And it, it, he had an important job. But really, if, if you went home today and if you had a child at home and they were turning 18 years of age and said, what do you want to do with your life? You want to be a doctor? You want to be a lawyer? You want to be an aircraft mechanic or a pilot or what? You, you want to be an engineer and design buildings? And your child said, I, I, I want to be the guy that hands the king, the president, his cup. It's like, really? Can't you set your goals a little bit higher than that? The cupbearer, that's what you want to do? That's what he did. Uh, that's what he did. <clears throat> and But he still has a burden for what's going on. I mean, there were two groups that went back to Jerusalem to rebuild under Ezra. And so from time to time, people would come. And so a guy comes back and he asks them, uh, that's where his heart is. Uh, he has a secular job, but he has a spiritual mindset. And so he asked, verse 2, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped and were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The temple had been rebuilt, but the walls of Jerusalem also was broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. And Nehemiah's burden for his country. Nehemiah, we meet him in this passage as an adult serving the Persian royal court. His, he's a man, obviously, of per, personal character, serving King Artaxerxes. Again, a, we might look at it as a menial position, but it really was a prestigious position, a position of trust. It reveals in Nehemiah a little bit about his character, that he was upright and that he was trustworthy, as opposed to some of the other government characters that we have met just recently that are still around in this time frame. Esther, right, who is the number two most powerful man in the world? Haman, would you say honest, trustworthy? No, not at all. What did he desire? He desired the king's crown, the king's robe, the king's horse. Uh, he wanted the preeminence. If he could have been king, he would have been happy. And he hated his enemies. What a, what a, what, what a guy. I hope you're not, if you are a boss or a supervisor out there in the world, I hope that's not what typifies your leadership style overbearing, ruthless, critical, uh, demeaning, uh, hurtful, vengeful. But that was Haman. And 
Nehemiah stood out in the crowd as Mordecai stood out in the crowd because he was at, he was again, another, what, government employee. Who did he work for? Well, he worked for the federal government in the court system. He was at the gate. He worked in the legal department. And when a plot came to kill the king, he let the king know about it. Why? Because he was honest and upright and trustworthy. And what was done for him? What reward? Absolutely nothing at that time. And Morde- But Mordecai didn't do it for the reward. He didn't do it for the, uh, for the notoriety. He didn't do it for advancement. He did it because it was the right thing to do. Christian, if you go to the workplace and you do the right thing for the right reason, you're going to stand out from the crowd. And Mordecai stood out from the crowd, so much so that Haman hated him, but God watched over him. And so Nehemiah, we know from this position where he is protecting the king in the, in the food service industry, if you will, uh, for uh, the, the Persian Empire, he is upright, he is trustworthy. The king absolutely trusts him with his life. We are in 444 B.C. We are in the Persian city of Shushan, which is where the palace is located. It's the beginning of the year. Later in the year, Nehemiah is going to go back to build the walls. We'll get into some of that next week. He is going to get, uh, he's going to get permission from the king to leave his position and take a work crew back to repair the walls and the gates. And Nehemiah is going to address that. We'll follow that through. <clears throat> so in the beginning of the year, in, in this, these opening three verses, he's in the king. He's in, he's doing his job. He's getting word from what, what transpired. Again, we're in 444 BC. And at, by the time this year is over, uh, he's going to be in Jerusalem. And he's going to be working and he's going to be having guys working. He is a he is a he is an interesting uh, he's an interesting character. So Nehemiah, because two remnants returned under Ezra, Nehemiah is going to be considered the third uh, trip, the third remnant that goes back from the Babylonian captivity, 70 years back to Jerusalem uh, to uh, take on the next phase of. Of the building a project. <clears throat> again, this is the, fir- the third year following, I'll say this again, this is the third year following the Babylonian captivity. The 70 years have expired. Say, why do I say that? Because if you're reading anything about Nehemiah, you're going to find that they refer, writers refer to Nehemiah as a post-exilic prophet. And that's a big word. You look at that and say, post-exilic, what in the world is that? I can't even spell it. Well, uh, get a dictionary and uh, you can spell it. But basically, it means he is post-exile. He is a prophet following post-exilic exile is where that comes from. So he is a post after the exile prophet. He is after the 70 years, which is what that means. And again, any reading you do, uh, you're going to see that per- pretty quickly. Uh, the book is going to focus on Jerusalem. Events that transpired there. And it is going to conclude in 430 B.C. 
So the differences between Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra covers a period of about a hundred years, and Nehemiah is going to cover a period of fourteen years. And you can look at that and say, boy, he got he got the walls rebuilt and the and the gates done in fourteen years, and it took them a hundred years to rebuild the temple. Oh, listen, don't don't compare yourselves to others. It doesn't mean that Ezra himself was not successful. He he had more difficulty. I mean, he was he was the first one. And then there were two and then there were there were work stoppages and then the the people. uh, It's a whole different set of circumstances uh, that they're dealing with. But God's got a plan for you to do, and whether it takes you a hundred years to get it done or fourteen years to get it done, just just be faithful serving the Lord. Ezra is included in the writ, and he was very successful in what he did. Although it took a hundred years to get the work done, he stayed at it. I admire people who stay at it. I said to the teachers, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Ezra was found faithful. Nehemiah was found faithful. The number of their years is just uh, it, just for your edification. It doesn't, it's not a comparison uh, between one or the other. Don't compare yourselves with others. You just keep serving the Lord in the way that God has called you to do it, using the talents and the resources that God has given you, and, and God, will look at you, God will look at you and be able to say, uh, you'll be able to hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Esther on Sunday morning appears after Nehemiah in your Bible. And say the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, First and Second Samuel, First and King, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Right? Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. I hope. <laughs> you should. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. So Ezra comes first in the book, in the Bible, and chronologically. Nehemiah comes after Ezra chronologically. But Esther does not come after Nehemiah chronologically. Esther, you'd have to go back to Ezra chapter 6 and chapter 7. That's where Esther and Mordecai and Haman uh, fit into the biblical narrative uh, back there. So, say, oh, are the books out of order? No, the books are out of order. If you want to read them chronologically, uh, get Ed, Ed Reese's Chronological Bible, and uh, you can read the Bible chronologically, and it would put Esther after chapter 6. It's an interesting way to read the Scriptures. Uh, it's not my favorite way, I'll just say <clears throat> Jerusalem, I'll just say, I'll say this. Jerusalem is important. Jerusalem is important in 4, uh, 444 BC. And Jerusalem is important today. Jerusalem is in the news almost every single day. You can go online and read the Jerusalem Post and they'll tell you uh, what is going on. Just in the last couple of days, uh, with uh, Hamas and uh, hostages, a couple more hostages have been located and, and have been freed. Uh, that's, that's, that's going on in the news in, in Israel. Kind of interesting stuff. I like to follow archaeology. And just recently, in Tel Megiddo, 
You're familiar with the Valley of Megiddo if you've been paying attention in Brother Parsons' Sunday school class or Brother Olenberg's Sunday school class. They're going to talk about, uh, you've heard about Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. Well, they've been doing an archaeological dig in Megiddo and they came across a, a Roman fortress where the Roman army, uh, some of... Uh, <coughs> Uh, way, way back in 200 A.D., so would that be 1,800 years ago, uh, there was an uh, ancient Roman military base uh, that was there. It housed some 5,000 uh, soldiers for over 180 years. The Romans had a presence there. And I just say that to say there's a lot going on in Jerusalem. In Ezra's day, in Nehemiah's day, but in our day as well. Uh, you could read news about uh, Jerusalem, Israel, every single day and, and probably not have enough time in the day to hear of all the stuff uh, that is coming out of there. It's an important place. And it is, a, is important to Ezra. It was important to Nehemiah. It's important to us today and all the way through uh, to the last of the book of Revelation. It has a a biblical significance, <clears throat> the importance of, of the book. Well, the, when I think of the importance of Nehemiah, the first thing I see is uh, that here's a guy, he's government employees in Shushan, the palace, uh, just going to work every day, uh, but still burdened spiritually. If you let me say this, Nehemiah was a layman. Now, we look at Nehemiah and we say, well, Nehemiah was a prophet. Well, well yes. He was a prophet, but before he was a prophet, he was a layman. He's, he's not of a priestly line, as Ezra was. Who is he? He's just an ordinary, everyday, kind of faithful, you, let me use the word Christian, guy who loves God, loves God's word, loves God's people, loves God's work, is staying up to date on what's going on. In, in the ministry, God's ministry, and what God is doing, not just in Babylon, but in the lives of other people, the remnant, and the city, and the place where he is from. He's just a layman, uh, but is interested. <clears throat> a government employee, serving the king, again, in a secular position. Why is that important? <clears throat> now, I understand, I, and I talked to a man yesterday on the phone, and uh, he is, uh, he's been trained in ministry, and uh, he has been uh, serving in kind of a, a church helper role and an evangelism kind of a hybrid uh, approach. And I just knew that there was going to come a time when he was going to say, uh, I've done all I can, and I really, I really need to be pastor in a church. And that call, uh, that call came yesterday. I've been following his life for several years now, and, and I would consider him a friend. He would consider me a friend. <clears throat> and so he called me up on the phone, and he said, uh, Hey, Brother Bishop, uh, I, I'm looking at this church, and I uh, wonder what you think about that. And we talked about some things on the phone uh, just yesterday. And I'm thankful for men who are willing to go into ministry and to serve the Lord and the pastor, assistant pastor, or, or a school teacher. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of churches uh, that do not have a pastor. There is a, a church uh, listed in the Sword of the Lord. You get the Sword of the Lord. You go back to the Wanads, 
and uh, say a, a, a church in New York State is looking for a pastor. And I'm going to guess they've been looking for a long time. And they said, hey, if uh, you're, a, you're an old preacher and uh, you, you think it's about time to go out to pasture, but uh, you've got a few ticks left, uh, we'll take you. If you're a seasoned pastor and thinking that your ministry is done where you currently are, you should apply. If you're a college kid uh, nearby and you're studying for the ministry and you have absolutely no experience and you wouldn't know the conclusion from an introduction in a message, uh, we'll take you. <laughs> They're pretty desperate. Uh, they'll take just about anybody. And so I, I said this to the pastor yesterday. Well, there's church in, the, in uh, New York and they were just in the sword of the Lord. And from the sounds of it, uh, they'll take just about anybody. And he said, I'll, I'll look that up. I'll look that up. I just say, I'm thankful for men who want to go into ministry, and there are lots of churches out there that would love to have uh, someone to proclaim the gospel to them. But Nehemiah wasn't a preacher. And I'm not opposed to encouraging young men who are called of God to be in the ministry. But God doesn't call everybody to be a preacher or a missionary or a Christian school teacher. And oftentimes when I'm at a Christian school and I'm talking to the principal or to the pastor that has a Christian school and they said, boy, we're really pushing uh, people to, uh, uh, to, to surrender to full-time Christian service. I, I always look back at them and I say, did you know that some of the most powerful and influential influential and loved characters of the Bible were not preachers. And they look at me like, really? I said, King David? Wasn't a preacher. Did God use him in a spiritual way? Absolutely. He was a warrior at heart. How about this guy? Uh, you probably never heard of him. Joseph. Was he a preacher? Prophet? No. He was a, he was a jailbird <laughs> and a government employee and, and kind of had a, had a business mindset. And did God use Joseph greatly? He, he sure did. How, how about this guy? Daniel. Daniel wasn't a preacher. He, he was a government employee uh, after he got promoted from being a prisoner of war. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not preachers. Uh, and all those names we know. I just say, don't, don't, don't you dare ever look, let someone look down on you and say, uh, you're, not, you're not as good as the next guy because you're, you're just a layman. Uh, you just remind them. Daniel was a layman, and, da and uh, David was a layman, and uh, Joseph was a layman, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nehemiah. That's what he was. <clears throat> His expertise? Political and physical reconstruction. He, we're, we're, we'll follow him, and you'll see this. He was, a, he was brilliant at... Getting material and supplies and people and being able to see the big picture. He could see what the Persian Empire wanted, 
what needed to be done, what people he had available, what he could do threat assessments. And he had lots of he's going to be juggling lots of balls and he kept them all in the air successfully. He's quite an amazing man for a layman. (laughs) Seriously, he was quite an amazing man for anybody. I just say again, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Don't you ever let somebody demean you uh, for uh, using your service or your talents uh, in to serve in the secular field and in the spiritual field as well. Uh, he's able to withstand opposition. He's able to get people to come together. He's able to promote unity. It's just quite an amazing thing. And then in verse 4, look at verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard those words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And you're going to see that as a prominent activity throughout the book. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. You see, it is not just the job of the preachers to pray. Or the deacons to pray. Everybody should be men and women of prayer. Uh, He's an ordinary, normal, layman, government employee who knew how to pray and knew how to get answers uh, from God. So what kind of a layman are you? What kind of a government employee are you? This is an interesting survey that came out just recently. They They were interviewing Generation Z. Now, whenever I see this generation stuff out there, I have to go and say, what in the world is a Generation Z? Because it's hard to keep up with all this stuff. I, I, you're people, right? Uh, anyways, Generation Z are the people 26 or less years of age. Why don't you just say the people that are 26 or less years of age? Uh, anyway, it's just me. I say, what are you? I, I am not 26 years of age. That's what I'm not. So I know I'm not Generation Z. Uh, what are you? Well, I would have said I was Z just because Z is later on in the alphabet. But maybe I'm uh, ZZ or something like that. I, I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, Generation Z. So they asked these young uh, people under 26 years of age, if you were going for career advice and for help, would you go to... Uh, your manager. And 59% of them said, never, never, because my manager of my company is not interested in me and they're not interested in helping me grow. Hmm. 46% of them said they worked for managers that were absolutely clueless. Not only could they not help them, but they couldn't help the company. And they they figured the only reason they got to where they were is because they were the boss's son or grandson or grandchild. You know, you know how that is. Nepotism going on. So they said to them. Generation Z's. If you were going to go for help, where would you go? And a whopping 47 percent of them said. We go to artificial intelligence, <laughs> chat, 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 GPT or whatever that is. Uh, we, we go to artificial intelligence because we think that we'd get better career advice from a computer, from a machine than we would from a person. Now, I guarantee you, if as we go through Nehemiah, if you if you said to the people, who would you go to for career advice? Hands down, they would have said Nehemiah. 
Because that's the kind of leader that he was. And I want you to be challenged to be that kind of leader that is not clueless, that cares about the people that work underneath of you, that are more worried about their advancement than your own, and to be a person that they can say, you know what, if I needed career advice, I'd go to them. If I needed somebody to pray for me, I'd go to them. To be that kind of person. To be a Nehemiah. Because you see, Nehemiah was ordinary, ordinarily extraordinary. So you may consider yourself ordinary, but I say again, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And what's the project? Well, the project is found in verse 3. The walls, uh, the remnant, the, the, it, they're in affliction, a reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates are burned with fire. And it is a, it's going to be a huge, huge undertaking. So he's going to build walls and reconstruct gates, shoring up and protecting lives. What did Ezra do? Well, Ezra rebuilt the temple and reestablished worship. And again, if you're comparing, and you shouldn't, you'd say, which one is most important? And I would say, duh, both are important. You need to reestablish, you need to rebuild the altars and reestablish worship. And you also need to be protected. Both of them are vitally, vitally important. Both are important aspects of the Christian life. Worship and protection. In the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, God said to Adam, God gave him a command that he was to dress and to keep the garden. That he was to provide for it and he was to protect it. And fellas, we still have that mandate today. That we are to provide for our homes and we are to make sure that they are protected. That might mean let me lock on the door, and it might be mean a guy on the other side of the door uh, that's coming to harm your family. To know that uh, uh, there there's a man that lives there and is willing to give his life for his family and to stand up and protect them. Uh, both both are important. Nehemiah is a great study on leadership principles, and we'll see that. There's going to be opposition from outsiders. There's going to be internal turmoil. It's going to require administrative skills. And it's going to require strategy. Say, why do you say that, preacher? Uh, Because every, I can't think of a single one, every industry has classes that you can take, in services that you can take, uh, even as a volunteer at the police department, uh, they're always saying, "Hey, Chappie, have have you taken any? Uh, have you taken this course? I think you'd, this would be a good course for you." And what are they saying? This would be a good course for you to take to be able to help us. But to, to look at some of those courses rather than thinking, "Well, this is going to help me in my job," maybe it'll help you to better serve the Lord. Some of those classes on leadership and leadership principles, <clears throat> and and we have. A, a great uh, ministry here, security. I, I would say our our lighthouse family is much like uh, the Nehemiah ministry. Uh, we have a building, we have security, we have logistical support uh, going on. I'm thankful for the ministry leaders. I'm thankful for Tom Oldenburg and his missions mindedness. I'm thankful for Frank Harris. You say, you're thankful for Frank Harris? I am even thankful for Frank Harris. Uh, Frank Harris has been a true friend. He has been a faithful eye uh, for me over the past 28 years. Uh, and he's been uh, helpful 
uh, when it comes to electrical stuff and mechanical stuff. And uh, he, he's, just, he's just a willing spirit. I'm thankful for that. Uh, Joshua Warren, our building and grounds guy, organization, administrating, watchfulness. Uh, Corey Dam is a trusted advisor, staffing, curriculum, soul winning, a passionate speaker. I say, preacher, you start naming people. There's going to be some people that are upset uh, that, that they got left out. Oh, no, that's not the kind of ministry we are. Matter of fact, we got guys that would prefer to stay in the background. Who's up there in the sound room? Ryan, is that you? Now step out into the limelight for a second. You can't get yourself on camera. Go, come on, right in the center. Stand, get right here, dead center. I want everybody to get, get a turn around and get a good look at you. Not the Zoom people. You should have been here. Then you could have turned around and looked. Now look at there. There's, there's, there's Ryan. Ryan's a guy who's in the background. And I, I know, sadly, for him, uh, he lives close to the church. So if I, wh- where are you going, Ryan? Don't go anywhere. I'm not done with you yet. <clears throat> so he lives close to the church. If I need something done right away, I'm not calling Warren. Uh, because he's too far away, and he, he could be away, way, way away, uh, out, uh, out in la-la land, literally, he could be. Uh, but anyways, uh, no, I call Ryan. I say, hey, Ryan, my ox is in a ditch. Monday, my ox was in a ditch. I had to be in two different directions at the same time. I had to be in Pennsylvania, and I had a call uh, to go uh, meet a man. There was a fellow that was in church a week ago Sunday. And I had met him uh, several years ago when his wife had passed away. And then when his father-in-law had passed away, I did the funeral for both of them. And he was, he listened to me and we talked and we had a spiritual conversation. And it was just, it was just like going over his head. So he's here a week ago. Again, his wife passed away. He uh, was here with a girl uh, that he is dating. And uh, they sat, I think, think back over here in this corner. And uh, she is a Christian. She knows Christ is a Savior. And if you were to talk to him, he would have said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm a Christian. Uh, he would have identified, and he was a good moral man, raised in Baptist church. He got baptized when he was 14 years of age. Uh, and, and she talked to him about his testimony. And uh, he shared his testimony with her. And after he got done sharing his testimony with her, uh, she just had that nagging feeling inside that, man... That's not what salvation is. And so they sat back here a week ago over in the book of Esther on Sunday morning. And after they got done, they walked out the door. And uh, he said to her, that was, that was an interesting sermon. And she looked right back at him and she said, that was for you. That's what you needed. You need to go talk to that preacher right now. And he said, well, I will, but I'll do it later on. Well, he wanted to meet with me on Monday. And he's three hours south of here. And again, but I needed to be two hours north. And so I called Ryan and said, Ryan, I need to be two hours north. And uh, will you do that for me? And Ryan said, sure. Sure. And so Ryan took the task two hours north so that I could get in the car and go two hours south. And the, and the guy who was unsaved uh, drove an hour to meet me. And we sat down in a little coffee shop in a hole-of-the-wall place uh, down in the uh, Finger Lake, northern neck region of Virginia. And he said, Pastor, I think I need to rededicate my life. And I said, rededicate nothing, buddy. You need to be saved. And there at the table, he bowed his head and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. In two weeks, he's, on Sunday morning, he's going to travel back up here. And we're going to baptize him on a Sunday morning, the first Sunday in March. But I could not have done that without ministry help. 
Again, Ryan's not a guy that wants to be in the limelight. He's a guy that prefers to stay on the... You can go back to your cameras now. <clears throat> and I said, Ryan, I've got, an, I've, well, I've got something to tell you about what happened on Monday. He said, when are you going to tell me? I said, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. And he said, okay, I can't wait. Now, he probably wished that I had told him on, on, on Monday. <clears throat> Is that important? Uh, you tell me. That's huge. I'm, I'm going down 95 uh, to go to this meeting. And I'm thinking... I wonder if this is what Philip, it happens to be my name, uh, Philip the Evangelist felt when God pulled him and, and sent him away into the desert. For, for one guy? Seriously? Yeah. Because one soul is important. Everybody working together, doing what they can do, it doesn't mean that one job is more important than another. All the jobs are important. They all need to get done. And when they do get done, God is glorified. That's what Lighthouse Baptist Church is. That's what Nehemiah is going to promote. That's what we need to continue to be. Now, don't worry about who gets the glory or who gets mentioned. It's, it's about God and His glory. Why? Because we serve to glorify God. And Nehemiah lived to glorify God as the king's cupbearer. And then as a rebuilder in Jerusalem. And how special was that? God put it in his book. That's pretty special. And you're special to God. Use your life to serve the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this introduction in Nehemiah. Inspiring book. Inspiring us just to be faithful. In our area of expertise and to grow in grace so that we can better serve you. And maybe it's to do what Moses did. Again, Moses wasn't a preacher. And at 80 years of age, he did his greatest task. And who taught him those leadership skills? Egypt, of all places. And we have some men in the room, some women in the room, who use their talents, their education, their schooling, their in-service activities to grow, to help their company, to help their country, but to serve the Lord their God in grace and greatness. And we'll praise you for all that you do, for your wisdom in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You have a prayer request card. Send